So I was going to do a sermon called When You Blow It, Jesus Will Still Cook Your Breakfast. But seriously, but um, the Holy Spirit had other, other plans, so uh, we'll just go where he wants us to go, yeah? Um, okay. Maybe he'll let me do it later today. I don't know. Who knows? So I'm going to carry on for that scripture that Brian gave us. If only he didn't say that scripture, we would have been doing that. But never mind. Um, so, so if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11... And we're going to look at verse 20 onwards. And it says, And in the morning, they, when they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you had cursed has become withered. And Jesus said to them, You must have faith in God. Truly I say to you that whoever would say to this mountain, You must immediately be removed. And you must immediately be cast into the sea and would not doubt in his heart, but would believe that what he is saying is happening. It will be to him. Because of this, I say to you, you must continually pray for everything. Then for whatever you are asking, believe that you have taken it and it will be there for you. And when you are standing praying, forgive whatever you have against anyone in order that your father who is in the heavens would forgive you. <laughs> you your trespasses, and if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in the heavens forgive your trespasses. The translation I'm reading, it tends to put the tense back into the Greek, so it's a little bit more, uh, like, get, get, gets you. Um, so the tenses are there, whereas in, in English, we don't like to use these tenses, we like to put everything in past tense, so it all grammatically makes sense, but this translation puts it as it actually says it in the Greek, which it really does, um, so it's, it's a little bit different from most translations. Um, okay, so... We've all heard, I'm sure, many a sermon on this particular scripture. You know, God, God is like, speak to your mountain and just believe it in your heart and the mountain will move. And, uh, and it's interesting as well that just looking at the tree bit there, it says in the morning when they passed by, the, they saw the fig tree writhed from the roots. Okay. And this is, this is something interesting for us is that normally when we look at issues or problems or things that are going on in our lives, we always just look at the circumstance, but not necessarily the root of that circumstance. You know, so it's, it's like if you've got a situation going on, what we would like to do, Jesus, please get me out of here. Please, Lord, get me out of this mess. But actually the root of the problem might not be the mess, but the condition of your heart in that mess. Yeah. And sometimes we need to get our attitude right before God will fix everything else. We know the story very well. When Jesus is asleep in the boat, there's a big storm going on. And the disciples wake him up like, come on, man, don't you, don't you care that we're about to die? And what does Jesus say? He doesn't deal with the storm. He starts with the disciples and he has a little chat with them about why are you afraid? In other words, the issue here is not the storm. The issue is your fear. So let's deal with the issue. And then once we've dealt with the issue, then we'll deal with the storm. And what Jesus did to the storm is he took the inner reality that's inside of him, who is uh, king of peace, and brought the peace that was within him and rebuked everything around him so it would conform to the peace that was in him. And so sometimes the root in our lives and the cause of the situations in our life is not necessarily circumstances, but it's our attitude and our heart in the situation and the circumstances. You all hear what I'm saying? So it's interesting that when Jesus dealt with the tree, 
he didn't just like make it all like all, all the leaves wither and stuff. He actually dealt with the root of the tree. So the actual whole tree was completely destroyed and it would never grow again. But the thing I want to I kind of look at here is, is what he goes on to say um, in verse 24. Because of this, I say to you, you must continually pray for everything. Then for whatever you are asking, believe that you have taken it and it will be there for you. Because of this, I say to you, you must continually pray for everything. Now, Paul says this to pray without ceasing. And one of the, as I've studied prayer over the years, it's one of kind of like my, uh, my favorite little things that I like researching and studying. And you look at the greats and you look at the, the, the saints throughout church history that really pressed into the things of prayer. One of the, the heartbeat of most of these people was always, how can we pray without ceasing? How can we pray continually? And I remember some lady saying to me once, she said that she wanted her life to be a living prayer so that everything she did throughout the day was in constant prayer, praise, adoration, even her lifestyle, even her actions were an act of worship and an act of prayer in itself. So that our whole life was this glorious sacrifice with a sweet smelling offering going up to the Lord in heaven, that she was this living act of worship and this living prayer. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, that for me, that's when, when she said that to me, it was just like, you know, you get an arrow, it goes straight into the arch. It was like, oh, that that is it. And that for me was kind of like. That was what for me was what a Christian should be. Amen. That 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 really is it. And that that just nailed it for me. And, and so since I heard that lady say that, which was when I was about 18, that's been something I've been pursuing on and off, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> most of my life just really pursuing the heart of God and praying continually but you see prayer is an interesting thing isn't it because as Christians we're all said you know when you get saved it's like yeah okay now that you're saved you need to read your bible go to church or be in fellowship and and pray but you're never really taught how to pray are you I mean, you don't go to any dis discipleship schools on how to pray. You don't really get many Christians that say, well, this is how you pray, because there are so many different types of prayers. There's intercession, supplication. Come on, any, any others? Throw them out. Breath Sorry? Breath prayer. Breath prayer. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a whole myriad of prayers, intercession, supplication, petition, all kinds of things. And they're just vocal prayers. So you've got vocal prayers, and in that it's thanksgiving, talking, praying in tongues, declaring, prophesying, decreeing, uh, praying, all sorts of stuff, you know, all of those vocal things. But then there's meditation prayer, which is like in the, in the scriptures, you know, blessed is he who meditates on the word of the Lord, and he shall prosper in all that he turns his hands to. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7, 8, so on and so forth. And then there's the third area of prayer, which is contemplative prayer, which is be still and know that I am God. And so something happened to me this morning because God seems to be having a bit, of a, a bit of a laugh with me at the moment. Okay, as you can see, my face is ruddy and my complexion looks good today, right? But don't believe the outside because inside I'm like, I'm like that. Because God keeps waking me up about two o'clock in the morning. It's either that or I just need to go to the toilet. But one of the two things is that I go to the toilet and I come back and I'm like, ding. And I just can't get to sleep. And it's like, well, what am I going to do then? I could just sit here and count sheep or uh, just think about nothing, have an argument with someone. Yeah, that won't help. Um, or I could pray. So just, I just, you know, just in this place where I'm just praying 
And last night, God gave me this bit of a download about prayer, which is, so you know, there's a little of a plug here, but my Thursdays is this whole new thing, that project I'm coming up with, which is about a really developing that house of prayer and discipling people in how to pray. Um, so we do things like praying the hours, which is the vocal part. We teach people about meditation and we also teach people how to do contemplation. So what is this? What was this download that the Holy Spirit gave me about last night? so that we can be a people that continually pray. Now, we don't want to be those kind of people that just pray and don't do anything. Have you ever met them? You know, I mean, I've been at, sorry, Holy Spirit saying, don't be rude. I won't be rude. So, so, you know, I've been at places where, you know, people just say, oh, we need to pray more about this. We need to pray more about it. It's like, well, no, sometimes you just got to get out there and do it. You know, uh, you've prayed plenty. Now get out there and do some. Um, have some faith, I don't know. So the, but there is, this, there is that tension that we've got to do stuff, but also the scriptures are always telling us to pray continually. And so last night God was showing me something. He was saying, man, so the Bible says, let us make man in our image. Firstly, let us. So this is the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. It doesn't say images, because there's only one God. Let us make man in our image. So there's only one God, but three uh, aspects to him, three personalities, but one in nature and one in essence. And God's saying that this is how man is made. Man has a body, he has flesh, he has a soul, and he has a spirit. So we too are made in the image of God. God is a tripartite being, and we are tripartite beings, okay? I'm sure you're all with me, you've all heard this stuff before, yeah? I appreciate that. But God was showing me that you need all of these three elements to be able to come to that place of intimacy with God. And he was showing me the, the, um, the, through the temple, the Old Testament temple. So the temple had, obviously, the outer court. The outer court represents your physical body, your tabernacle, so to speak. Yeah? And Jesus tabernacled amongst us. He was in a physical body. And hey, look, we've got a tabernacle right here. You know? So we, I talked about it the other night. So we've got an outer shell. This is our outer courts. This is our temple body if you like but then inside of us you've got the place called the sanctuary and in the sanctuary contain two rooms so notice that the sanctuary is one big room but it's split into two halves so the first half of that sanctuary room is the most is the holy place sorry and the second part of that sanctuary is the most holy place and so when it comes to prayer there's these three elements vocal prayer uh, meditative prayer and contemplative prayer now, a lot of Christians are really good at, at, at vocal prayer. You know, dear Lord Jesus, and hallelujah, glory be to God. You know, we're really good at the noise, okay? And praise and worship and declarations and thanksgivings. We do a lot of that. Now, in the place of the outer courts, you can have a lot of fun with God and you can experience externally the tangible presence of God. So, you know, uh, in the worship today, we were experiencing the tangible presence of God. At least I was, I don't know about you guys. But we were experiencing the tangible presence of God. But that's on the outside, all right? And so you're in the, this is what they call the outer court experience of God. Now, some Christians never get beyond that. It's just all their whole life is living in the outer court experience. But where God wants us to go to is the next level, which is meditation. Why is meditation so important? Because this is where you're starting to go from the external experience of God to the inner reality of God. Now, there are a lot of Christians 
that meditate and a lot of Christians that I know that meditate on the word have wonderful beautiful revelations from God and here's the crazy thing right it's not weird and wacky stuff it's actually really biblical but they have a depth of understanding and revelation into the things of God and into his word that you won't get if you just study your Bible I've been to Bible college okay so I know theology reasonably well but I've always said this, and I don't, if you want to go to Bible college, I encourage you to go. But the problem is with Bible college, it fills your head, but it doesn't do anything for your heart. Yeah, this was even the early church said, you know, why are we, doing, why are we sending people to like learn this stuff when they're actually not really learning it in their hearts? It has to be an experiential understanding as well. So you go to Bible college, you learn all this stuff, you're like walking around top heavy all day long, but there's no reality of the inner man. There's no reality of what God's doing in here. So having a lot of knowledge is useful, but it won't actually change you. We don't want information, we need transformation. And meditation's the place where God can transform us via his Holy Spirit. And so when we meditate on his word, he will speak to us. He will reveal things to us. I like to uh, practice a thing called, uh, I guess what we're talking about today is prayer, right? You all with me? Are you okay with that? Yeah? So I'm just going to teach you some stuff I know about prayer. So one of the things that a lot of Christians have done over for about nearly 1,200 years is a thing called Lectio Divina. Has anyone heard of that? Yeah, I've got an app. It's on my phone. Okay, so Lectio Divina. It's basically Lectio Divina means divine reading. And what that means is you take the scripture and you just look at it and read it over and you just process it and you think about it and just let it go round and round and then suddenly the Holy Spirit will start to speak to you and you can do one of two things you could just either just go with it or journal down what the Spirit is saying to you so here now in the inner court you're getting this experience where you're now actually really starting to hear God very clearly and he's putting things into your spirit. Now here's another thing about meditation. When you read the word and that's all you do, it goes in there. But when you meditate on the word, the word becomes flesh. Because somehow the Holy Spirit entwines the teachings and the revelation of God's word into you that becomes intrinsic to who you are. And it changes you and it transforms you in a way that reading your Bible can't. Now, don't get me wrong, am I, am, I, am I saying that we shouldn't read our Bibles? Of course not, you've got to read your Bibles. Because actually, if you do go into a bit of weirdo land in meditation, you've got some good teaching and doctrine to stop you going too far out there. So yeah, that's important. But as I've always said, reading the Bible will give you a wide depth, oh, sorry, a wide breadth of understanding, but meditation will only give you a, that kind of width, but it will give you that kind of depth, yeah? And so everything that I teach, uh, everything that I've ever learned in probably in the last mm, six years from God has all come through meditation. Yeah, I hardly ever make any reference to my Bible college or anything. It's all what the Spirit has shown me through the Word and stuff. And so this is the second chamber. This is the first of the inner chambers. This is the holy place. And in here, in this place, you have the experience of God's presence on both the outside and on the inside. But the psalmist says, deep calls unto deep. Amen. And the heart of the Christian and the heart of the church should be the spirit and the bride say, come. There should be that longing and that, that groaning within our hearts to be in union with our gods. 
Oh, that sounds a bit dodgy. John 17, Jesus says, Father, I pray that they will be one in each other as we are one and that we be one in them. And what do you think the wedding feast is about? The betrothed coming to the Lamb of God and the two become one flesh. Paul says about a man and a woman coming together being one flesh. He says, of course, I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and his church. We are not Christ, but there's a place where we can become one with him. I think it's utterly incredible that the divine, blessed, holy trinity, God, Father, so God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has chosen to give his son a bride, and that's at the end, the consummation of the age, we can come to a place of unison with God, which is just utterly incredible that we're invited into that sacred union of God. But you can have that every day. Because as individuals, God wants his people to move from the outer courts, to even move from the second court, which is the holy place, into the most holy place. But you see, what you can't do with this kind of prayer, you can't say, right, I'm not doing vocal prayers anymore, and I'm not going to do that meditation stuff. I'm just going to go straight to number three, because that's where, that's where it's at. But it doesn't work like that. You know, I shall enter his courts with praise. I shall enter you know, into his presence with thanksgiving. There's a process that we have to go through. Uh, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? Though, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is a process and so our vocal prayers is important because that's the outer court. It's what we do with our flesh. It's when we're being exuberant in our worship and our praise and thanksgiving and glorifying God. That is the part of the, part of the discipleship that we have in Christ Jesus. Part of our walk with God is this vocal prayer, this giving thanks in all circumstances, giving thanks at all times, praying without ceasing. But then there's the time where we sit and we ponder, we meditate upon God's word. There's so many scriptures on meditating on the word throughout your, throughout your Old Testament. It's, uh, you really want to do a study on it. It's loads of places. And with it comes such blessings. Let's have a look at um, Joshua chapter 1. I know I use this scripture a lot, but it's just a great one. It's Joshua chapter 1. So God says to him in verse 8, bear in mind this was the only part of the Bible that existed at this time. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night so you can observe to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, meditating on scripture is one of the key principles to enable you to live a righteous life. As opposed to a list of do's and don'ts that I must, I must observe. This is a, a living interaction, a living interaction with the word of God, who is Christ and the written word, that you have this living interaction with it, that it changes you, changes your heart, that you can are enabled naturally by the empowering of the spirit to live the righteous life. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night so you can observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will act wisely in all your ways and then you'll have good success 
Do you want to have good success? Do you want to be prosperous in all that you turn your hands to, as it says in Psalm 1? Eh? Is that not what, what any, any charismatic would love to have these days? Yeah, I want to be prosperous in all that I turn my hand to. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, it's like, well, just meditate on the word. If we just do what the book says, the blessings will come and the blessings will follow. But again, this is another thing about prayer. If you seek God for the blessings, you're in it for the wrong reason. That was a mistake I made. For years, I was, I was seeking God for his anointing and for his power and all this kind of stuff. And my wife just said to me one day, she said, you're not going to get anywhere with that kind of praying because you don't know him. And, I, and that hurt. I was like, man, trust, trust the wife to say that. <laughs> Women are all so bang on, aren't they? Ow, that hurt. But the reason why it hurts so much is because it was so true. I was more interested in the trinkets and the baubles than I was in my saviour and that intimacy and that walk with him. When I first got saved, Jesus said to me personally, he said, stop what you're doing, come to know me and you can be forgiven for what you've done. But there was that second point, come to know me. And that, that is, that's always been that calling of my life is to know him. Like I said, I've been to, been to Bible college. I know a lot about God. I know a lot of stuff. Too much stuff sometimes does my head in. But I know a lot about a lot of things. I know a lot about God. But the question is, how much do I really know God? How much do I really know him? Because you see, the heart of the spirit is, he is groaning and lusting that we would come to know him. In a, in a way that's, that's beyond the norm. Yet it's the most beautiful an intimate place. And we move into the place of contemplation, which is the Holy of Holies. And contemplation, there's a lot of mystique about it, but it's not really mysterious at all. It's just from the place of meditation, you begin to contemplate his presence. And it's in that place that if God chooses to, you will have a, an experience of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus and Father that you can't get from any revival meeting, that you can't get from anywhere else on planet Earth. You will not get this from the best Hillsong praise CD or anything or the best rock ever praise concert you've ever been to. You will not get it in that because as God said to uh, Elijah, or I think it's Elijah, he said, you know, he went and he saw the storm and the lightning and the fire and the thunder and the hail and the earthquake. And God said, I'm not in those things. I'm in the still, small voice. And as it says in the Psalms, be still and know. Know, be intimately acquainted with and understand through impartation, revelation and a move of his spirit. Be still and know that I am the great I am, the burning bush I am. Jesus uh, chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And know that I am God. But we're too used to outer court living. We're always like this noise, isn't there? So much noise in our life, isn't there? Noise, noise, noise. You know, um, I remember once many years ago when I worked at a monastery, and I said to these nuns, I said, 
I, I just can't get any peace in my head, right? And of course, they knew what I was like. They're like, well, that's because, you know, all day long I was walking around going with my Walkman, you know, the old tape deck. And I was like, I just can't get any peace in my, in my prayer life. I don't know why. And they just said, well, if you take that thing off your head, that might start. I was like, oh, all right, funny. I mean, let's be funny about it. But it was true. And it's like we, we spend so much time putting noise around us because I think personally we get uncomfortable when it gets quiet because when it gets quiet, quick, 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 put some music on, put some worship on. Just, just, just don't let there be silence. And yet, actually, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like, I don't mind. Let's have some silence. You see, I taught a long time ago, a while ago, about Song of Solomon. And that cry of the bride wanting to be in that inner chamber with her lover. And that is the heart of the spirit that's in us, that's desiring us to desire that from him. You see, because prayer is like a relationship. There's a lot of charismatic nonsense, which is like you can, you can just get straight to the place of intimacy with Christ. No, you can't. You can't get straight to the intimacy, place of intimacy with any human being. So if you can't do it in the natural, why do you assume you can do it in the spiritual? If you can't do it with a human being who's made in the image and the glory of God, why do you think you can do it to Almighty God who made man in that image? Intimacy with Christ is a gradual process. Just like a relationship. You see, when you're in the outer court stuff, that's when you're just having fun, basically. And, and you, when you're serious about God and you, you love him, but then when you get to the inner court, that's when you start that wooing one another. You know, when you meet the person of your dreams, you start wooing them, being kind to them, wanting to spend time with them. You remember those days when you used to want to spend time with your husband, women? Yes. I say used to. Yeah, do, you remember, do, you remember the, do you remember that time? You know, and I, I just want to be with my wife. In fact, I want to be with my wife all the time. She's, she's great. I like sit there and hug her around all the time. And she's always saying, get off, get off, get off, get off, get off, get off, get off. And if I do get off, it's you don't ever hug me. You don't ever cuddle me. <laughs> Whatever. So, and so, you know, the heart of a lover is I just want to be, I just want to be with you. Jesus wants to be with us all the time. And, and I just want to be with Jesus. And the heart of the heart of our heart of hearts is that we want to be with Jesus. We want to be with him. And that's like the betrothal period where we're always being together and we're in love with each other. But then from the betrothal period then comes the wedding. And this is, I know, a bit of a difficult thing to think about. But actually then and only then can you come to the place of intimacy with God. There's a process there's, a, there's a, a maturation, a maturing of the relationship. And also, when it comes to the area of contemplation, the, that most sacred place, you will not get the things from God because you have gone through some kind of ritualistic formula or procedure to get there. Because anything that comes in that place of intimacy is a gift from God. It's a mercy and a kindness from God. And I've often said this, that you might sometimes in that place have the most driest 
arid times of prayer. And you go, why is God making it so hard for me to pray? Why is he not like giving me some, a drink from his river of delights at his right hand side, our pleasures forevermore? Why, why am I having this aridity in, in my soul? Because God wants to see, are you interested in the trinkets and the baubles? And the, oh, I got an experience from God today. Or are you really interested in seeking him, your beloved, the lover of your soul, the one who went through the passion and endured such horrendous, horrendous horrors because he loves you so much. And Father God loves you so much that he allowed his son to go through that. Sometimes when I meditate on the stations of the cross at Jesus' death, I, I often, forgive me for saying this, Zach, but I often think that it, I, I sometimes picture my own son on the cross. Why do I do that? Because it helps me understand how Father God felt about his own son being put on that cross. And, and, and I, sometimes you can't relate to the barbaric bloodiness of the cross. But then when you put like your son or something on there, you instantly relate to it. And it instantly makes me understand the love that God must have had for us to allow his son to go through that. And so that's really all I want to say today is that God is really earnestly desiring for us to come out of the outer courts, come into the first of the inner chambers and let's start courting one another. And then after the place of courtship in time, we can be betrothed and married and then we can come into the most holy place. And there you can truly be still and know that I am God. Amen.